The Mayfly is up and the excitement is palpable. Wherever you are in Ireland, the lakes and rivers are soon to be hatching with Mayfly soon. And to help you improve your catch rate this season, we've used a Mayfly Tactics Masterclass with international angler, guide and renowned tire, Jackie Mahan. If you want to learn about setup, tactics, conditions and flies, then head over to www.irelandonthefly.com forward slash masterclass where you can find out all the details to access the recording and Jackie's notes. If you want to catch that difficult fish or try out new tactics, then this masterclass is for you. Welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast, covering the people and places about fly fishing in Ireland. For this week's episode, I speak to the English writer and angler Tom Fort, who has been in love with the River Shore since he was first introduced to it by Niall Fallon in the 1990s. Tom returned to the shore last September after a 20-year hiatus, realising what he'd been missing out on all this time, and he's vowed to come back after the COVID-19 crisis is gone. I speak to Tom about the Shore, as well as his friendship with Niall Fallon, the well-known journalist, editor and angling writer, and whose son Garrett founded and edits the quarterly Fallon's Angler magazine. I first asked Tom, though, about his latest book, Casting Shadows. I wanted to do something about, to kind of celebrate my own, all the pleasure and enlightenment uh, that I've had from being on rivers and in rivers um, and thinking about rivers and dreaming about rivers, mainly rivers, lakes as well. Um, and I thought the way to do that was to, to look uh, at our relationship, as in our human relationship with our freshwater fish in all its forms, all its facets, including angling. So there's a big chunk in the book about the kind of birth of angling and, and how... Uh, the pursuit of fish for food, for uh, protein, sort of gradually turned into the pursuit of fish for fun, for pleasure, for excitement. But also I cover, uh, there's a lot in it about sort of commercial uh, netting and trapping of salmon and eels and bits about um, sort of monastic fish ponds and, and, and more contemporary stuff about the evils of salmon farming and, and the growth of kind of conservation consciousness uh, among the angling community so uh, it's really a sort of celebration of that whole world and what it's meant to me over my life sounds fascinating actually i can't wait to, to have a read of it myself how you fished in ireland tom how do you compare how integrated or how important fishing is in the life and culture of Ireland compared to that um, in Britain? Well, I, you know, I would love to... If it, I've always said that if I had to go... And, if for some reason I was expelled from uh, from my home country, um, Ireland is the, one of the one or two uh, other countries where I think I could live uh, I could live happily. And the, the water, the, the rivers, the fishing available in Ireland uh, would be a, a huge part of that. I mean, I've only ever been to Ireland as a visitor and I've been on holiday there, but mainly I've come in order to... Uh, to go fishing and of course you know the fishing experience in your country is is completely different it's uh for a start if your passion is trout fishing in this country i pay you know nearly three thousand pounds a year to have access to really good uh trout fishing on the chalk streams uh i can come to your part of the world uh, and pay what seems to me almost a pittance to fish on the shore 
which is just one of the greatest trout rivers on the planet. Um, I, I've had hugely happy times over many, many years in Ireland, mostly, mostly pretty unsuccessful, but enough in the way of um, success to sort of bring me back. And I actually came back last September to fish on the shore for the first time in many, many years. And I was sort of bowled over. It was sort of revelatory to me. I'd forgot what a phenomenal river it is. Um, and what a, you know, just sitting beside it and looking at it, uh, what an experience that is. If you, if you understand anything about how rivers work, the, the richness of the, of the river, its setting, uh, and the head of trout in it is just, uh, just astonishing. Um, so yeah, they're very different experiences, but, uh, I will definitely, having come back to Ireland, um, unless something terrible happens to me, um, I've sort of made a date in my head, uh, not to leave it so long again. What, what led you to come back after such a long period of time? Well, I tell you, I sort of, for quite a few years, I used to fish every, year in Slovenia and I had some wonderful experiences in Slovenia but for, for reasons I won't bother to go into the kind of experience uh, became um, degraded in, in some ways and so I thought where you know where I'd like to go away for a trip I, and I love to fish on my own I like to fish with friends as well but I also like to go away on my own uh, and so reading about the shore and, and reliving experiences I had uh, particularly with a very old friend of mine now, long, long dead, Niall Fallon, a big, big figure in Irish fly fishing, and I kept the sort of memories of the show kept on nagging at me. Um, so I got in touch with a guy called Kevin Rowe in uh, Care, um, and said I was thinking of coming, and he very kindly advised me. And then I came over and he met me and he showed me around. And um, yeah, the weather wasn't; it was boiling hot really tricky conditions but yeah i caught some fish and uh it was tremendous we'll talk about the shore in a minute because the shore is my own local river and i know kevin and, and i'm a member of the, the care um fly anglers and it, it is an incredible river and like you said i think we take it for granted here especially with being so close to us and, and how well it fishes talk to me a bit about niall fallon how you got to know Niall, because obviously Niall will be very well known to uh, people in the fly angling community over here um, a, a brother, one of my brothers, Matthew Fort, who's a big, big figure on in the food world over here and a judge on TV cooking programs and such like, uh, a long, long, long time ago, he, at a low ebb in his fortunes, went to uh, live and work in Dublin. And he's a keen uh, fisherman and, and he and I and our eldest brother did a load of fishing when we were young. Anyway, he went to live in Dublin as a young man, and he was introduced uh, to this distinguished Dublin journalist, Niall Fallon, at some social gathering. And and in the way that, you know, anglers, whenever they bump into each other, it doesn't take long for them to get round to discovering the mutual interest. And Niall at that stage, having been a very, very keen fisherman and written a lot about fishing, had actually given up fishing uh, for some reason. And Matthew, my brother, sort of said, oh, come on, you know, you've got to show me around. And so he, Niall, showed Matty around uh, some waters in County Meath uh, and lakes and then 
as a result of that, Matthew invited Nile over to fish with us uh, on the Eden in Cumbria, uh, and we all got on very well together. And as a result of that, he, Nile, arranged a couple of epic uh, trips to the west of Ireland to Delphi and Corrib and uh, all those places. Incredibly unsuccessful they were generally. Uh, but the second of those trips involved coming down to the shore. So I became very... Uh, I was a passionately keen angler. Um, and also, because I worked in journalism as well, we got on well on that basis. And he had a great love of fishing books, as did I. Uh, and so I went over and, and fished with him, and he fished over here. Um, and I learned a huge amount from him. And um, was the shore your favourite um, place to come fishing here? It was, absolutely. As soon as I can still remember this, we, we turned up there in care he had fished there uh every year for a for a long time and he knew the he knew the river pretty well and he was very friendly with this legendary figure Leamy farrell who lived in care um who sort of gave instruction to uh, all his disciples who used to come along and ask for advice and so we stayed at a b&b and and went down to this amazing river now it's changed since then it, uh, we can i can still remember when we first visited it. There was a meat factory, a sort of pie factory, I think in Care or on the outskirts of Care, which used to pour this uh, disgusting stream of sort of meat refuse <laughs> into the river. And it smelled to high heaven. And the whole, from sort of Swiss Cottage down, the whole bed of the river was covered in bits of fat and gristle and such like. I mean, the tribe didn't mind at all, but it was pretty dire. Uh, and so I wrote an article I was then writing over here for the Financial Times, and I wrote an article about um, about all of this, and then there was a local campaign, and eventually something was uh, was done about it. But walking up and down the river, it was impossible not to be amazed by the sheer number of rising fish, on, you know, fish feeding on the surface, uh, on emergers and dry flies, uh, and already by that time in England, those kind of daytime hatches were beginning to uh, decline very obviously. Um, so the show gave you this idea of this impression of an incredibly sort of rich river, rich feeding and bloody difficult fish to catch. They were too difficult for me at that time. But I, I went back a couple of years later with Niall and we had a great evening on the sedge at Swiss Cottage and we had... Good fishing up at Ballycurran, um, upstream from Care, uh, and yeah, I uh, I just this just got into my head and wouldn't go away. It, it seems to be one of those like I suppose people outside of Ireland they think of fly fishing for trout, they think of carb really, don't they? Um, the kind of the, the Western locks, but the sure yeah, doesn't really. Late and then shielding as well, and and drifting in drifting in boats. So yeah, I did a bit of that. I'm not really that enamored of uh of i'm very happy to go out in the boat for a couple of hours a whole day's boat fishing uh, i did a bit of it with nile on um on corrib several outings they were never particularly successful and i find the sort of confinement of the boat um gets gets to me after a while i'd always rather be beside a river um and able to sort of uh, to move around and ireland has amazing river fishing for, for trout. I mean, where Nile lived in um, in County Meath, there were there were three streams within 
two or three miles of him. Um, the deal and uh, the Boyne and the Ahalo, which had fantastic, they'd been dredged and mucked around with, but they still had amazing, uh, amazing dry fly fishing available. And, and that is the case um, all over Ireland, really. Um, that's why I wouldn't mind going to live there, but it's too late now. The sure doesn't, and the sure, in fairness, it doesn't come out, like for the size of the river and, and the kind of, the choice of fishing you could have on it, like it's just, it's, it's very, you know, underfished, I would argue, from a kind of an outsider's perspective. Well, it's such a big river. Uh, it's such a big river. That's the thing. The, the, the depth and the volume uh, and, the, you know, and the fact that it is, you know, there are many, many miles of it. And, and yeah, when I came back in September, this, uh, and, and Kevin Rowe sort of showed me around, I had, you know, I sort of remembered Switch Cottage and, Leamy's Lane and such like, but the bits higher up, uh, I didn't really remember. And of course, it's quite a business going down sort of lanes and tracks and such like to get there. I, apart from the Swiss Cottage stretch, which was consistently fished two or three times, uh, I went down there. The rest on the other stretches, I didn't see anybody at all. And, and actually, even at Swiss Cottage, there's loads of room. Uh, the soldier, and the, and, the, and the, you know there are so many fish, and there's such a variety of water that, uh, yeah, it's it could take, you know, if you transplanted it to to Slovenia, you'd have hundreds of anglers from all over Europe on it. So, um, yeah, you're very lucky. Yeah, and, and in terms of actually, I'm interested, Tom, in how well, how long was the gap between when you were fishing at Whitten Nile and then when you came back in September? Um, twenty years. How have you noticed in that 20 years, like, um, fly life, fly hatches, has that gone down? Has it decreased? Well, in this country, my country, they've, they've decreased. Uh, I mean, daytime hatches are almost, um, I wouldn't say they're unheard of, certainly, but on the chalk streams down in Wiltshire and Hampshire that I mainly fish, um, they are an absolute, not even a shadow of what they were. 30 years ago. Um, Did you see any difference I, on the shore? I, yeah, I, when I... Well, that was why I was... This is why it was so sort of heartening, really. I... I went down to a stretch, so this would be just below... It'd be below Ballycurran Bridge, sort of 12 o'clock on a September day, as I say, you know, hot and sunny. Um... And I did a bit of nymph fishing, got a couple of fish, and, you know, there was the odd rice here and there. And then there was quite suddenly, around about sort of 12.30, a, like somebody flicked a switch, a sort of consistent rise uh, of olives. The fish were almost impossible to catch, but uh, so, but they fished, they fed, you know, consistently for about an hour and a half. Then it tapered off, and then... Round about sort of four thirty in the afternoon, I went down to Swiss Cottage, uh, and the same same thing, just an odd fish here and then another one and then another one, and then within ten minutes or so, uh, a good number of fish sort of feeding consistently on the surface, uh, and I got two or three um, in the sort of late afternoon, early evening. So yeah, it was just sort of I thought, Christ, this is what this is what it used to be like. In, <laughs> in my country <laughs> although in fairness if you talk to locals they will tell you that the you know the 
the the hatches have gone have declined in recent years. Yeah, well, I'm sure that's right. I'm sure that's right. And I, you know, maybe I just hit it right, and and they probably don't hatch in the. I mean, I can remember Niall and I meeting Leamy Farrell at, at Swiss Cottage on an incredibly windy day in June, where there were so many olives. Um, it's the only time I've ever tried to fish where the wind was so strong that after you cast, the wind took the line off the water into the air. Um, and there were absolute blizzards of olives uh, coming down and being blown in your face and in your ears and, uh, and, and such. And I'm sure that's true. I mean, for, for, you know, modern farming practices, which I, you know, are, are certainly at the root of, uh, of a lot of this, um, Ireland suffers from them uh, as well. I think probably what sort of helps for sure is that uh, you know it's so big. Um, uh, you know it's quite a difficult river to wreck. Uh, smaller streams are probably more adversely affected. And it's a quite a challenging river as well in terms of fly oh fishing. gosh, yeah. I mean, it's, and 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 particularly more challenging as you get older because. The other thing is, that in a lot of places, the banks are really high, uh, and you come off the bank and you, you're into water up to your, so above your waist, right next to that. And of course, at my age, I'm nearly seventy now. In the old days, I could, I didn't mind, you know, I would sort of scramble around and in and out and, and go over my waders and such, and not bother too much about it. But when you get to my age, you know, I use a wading stick. I'm really careful and getting up a vertical bank out of five feet of water <laughs> so i was really careful to make sure i checked on a sort of exit point before i fished anywhere um yeah so it is it's it, and and presentation and such like a, you know it's it's demanding you've got to be careful about drag um and you know what and the fly and, and all the rest of it so yeah it's it's, it's very challenging wasn't it lord gray in his book in the, in yeah, the, he um, he doesn't actually identify it by name in in his book Fly Fishing, but the but the best bit in it is the you account know, of him uh, staying, I think, probably upstream somewhere upstream from Care in the eighteen eighties, I think, and uh, you know he reckoned himself he he was brought up in Winchester, caught trout on the Itchin, uh, considered himself to be you know a, a pretty well educated dry fly man went to the shore and he couldn't catch anything uh, at all um, and was in despair. And then, and it's a very good tip for us all to remember, uh, was to keep low and instead of fishing from behind so much to try and get an across angle uh, so that the fly and only the fly goes over the fish rather than uh, the cast or lead, as we call them now, um, with the fly at the end. So he got them from fishing from sort of, as it were, sideways on with plenty of slack to get the fly to come. And he, he then, he then hit, hit gold dust. Mm, mm. That's right. He was, I'm just, I'm looking at the quote here. Uh, there, there were trout visibly and audibly rising, which had never seen an artificial dry fly. They defeated me utterly. I walked and knelt and waded and labored and perspired under August sun without success. <laughs> And that was in 1880. Well, we've all been there, haven't we? <laughs> oh, it's incredible. But yeah, like 150 years later. From <laughs> yeah, yeah, change. laboured and perspired. And, and he probably leaves out all the kind of cursing and, 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 the, and the less elevated aspects of it. But uh, 
Yeah, none of that has has none of that has changed. You're a very lucky man living down there. I was thinking, well, I went in September last year, and that was, you know, that was uh, that's quite a good time to go. But I kept on thinking about what it would be like to be uh, out there, sort of after supper, sort of late June, early July, um, where there must be good hatches of sort of odd blue ringed olives and sedges and, and well, such like. What I was finding actually, Tom, was it was actually nearly dusk nearly dark you'd think you'd missed it and then it would just come on for a few minutes yeah well i i can remember one evening at was not at, at swiss cottage uh and we went down after dinner so it was you know it was quite late and i waded across i waded across the river he said he fished up the true left bank and i fished up the true right bank uh within earshot of each other and, and i could just hear him um, muttering away and and um, sort of splashing and catching, <laughs> and I got, I think I got about eleven fish, uh, pretty much one after another. And I can remember each time I netted one, I leant forward and my scissors fell out of my pocket into the river, and I then and and I didn't have the sense to do up my pockets. This happened each and every time, and I waded back. It was completely pitch black, nearly midnight when I found him and he, he he said he had lost count at 20. Yeah, there are some very, very, I, I had a, after Nile died, I went back on my own. I think about a year, he died 20, over 20 years ago. The year after he died, I went, I went back to see his, stay with his widow um, and sort of retrace footsteps. So I went down to care uh, and in the evening went up to um, Ballycurran, the bridge at Ballycurran, and sort of walked. Well, I stopped on the bridge. I got there, I think, about nine o'clock or so, and there were so many fish feeding. Uh, and I thought at that, at that time I had sort of worked out to a degree that when fish were feeding hard in the late evening, it was in the sort of early dusk, it was normally blue-winged olives, and, and there was a wonderful fly tire Alice Comber in in care who I used to get flies from and so I had some good patterns and I thought I'm going to make such a slaughter of these poor simple-minded Irish trout this evening so I sort of waded in and you could see the you know you could see the BWOs coming down in kind of squads on the surface and anyway I said so I've covered fish after fish after fish and had absolutely no response response at all by this stage it was getting quite dark and i sort of looked down i thought what would niles suggest uh and he'd say just take a moment to think about it when you're making an idiot of yourself so i looked down um and the surface of the water was completely covered in canis um and it so happened that alice uh, in the tuck alice comber that morning, I'd seen chatting to her, and she said, oh, you know, they're catching a lot of fish on Canis. And I, I didn't really know what Canis were, to be honest, but she gave me, I've still got three of them, uh, these flies that she tied on size 26. They were amazing things. And and I thought, can I tie this on? Anyway, I've managed by an amazing fluke to tie this thing on. Um, and uh, there was a really big fish feeding straight upstream from it, and I thought, why would it take this when the surface is is completely covered? Uh, and of course, it did immediately. As soon as it came down, up it came, uh, and it broke me, uh, and it was too late to put on another one. 
so I still feel I still feel very aggrieved about that. Um, <laughs> T- talk to me about Niall Fallon, um, and obviously because you edited that book, Bright Waters. That's right. Yeah, he he had produced a book published only in Ireland called the Irish Game Anglers Anthology or something. Which uh, so he had done a lot of trawling around, and whenever I saw him, you know, we used to go and look in bookshops and compare what he'd bought and what I'd bought and uh, and such like uh, and this anthology was unknown in in England um, and it was not very the production values were not great so it didn't really do justice to all the work that he had done and um, and again after he died uh, I had have uh, a friend, a publisher of fishing books, Merlin Unwin, who used to do a huge number of fishing books, and uh, I had already done uh, a fishing book with him called The Far From Complete Angler, and I suggested to him that an Irish fishing um, anthology uh, you know, might, might work, and he had, by that stage, started publishing the books by Peter O'Reilly about Irish rivers and locks and such like, um, and he said, oh, yeah, fine. And then I thought, well, actually, we can do better than. So I got some extra material. I expanded it with a bit more, with some coarse fishing material and some and a bit of sea fishing material. Um, and the result was what I think is actually a, one of the most sort of handsome looking. Um, I don't think it's so particularly well, but. I'm still really, really pleased with it. And anyone who, uh, you know, has a curiosity about Irish fishing writing, of which there is a, you know, there is a lot, um, and a lot of it's not much good, but some of it is really good. And and the way in which um, certain writers sort of capture uh, the essence of of the sort of Ireland of old, um, rural Ireland. Uh, the landscape and the rivers. Um, it's f- absolutely full of good stuff. And, um, yeah, I'm still really proud of that book. No, it is. And it's, I have a copy of it at home as well. And it's, um, I love those kind of books because you can dip in and out of them, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. You don't have to, you, there's no narrative thread yeah. for you to try to have to keep hold of. <laughs> but, you're, but you're also writing as well, Tom. Um, you're involved with Niall's son, Garrett, in Fallon's Angler. Well, I'm not exactly involved. I keep a, I keep a sort of an eye on his activities. Yes. Uh, well, I've remained sort of friendly with the family. Uh, Niall had a uh, had a brother now also dead called Porrick, who survived him. Porrick was a really big figure in um, financial journalism in London and and was the uh, chairman of Euro Money, which was a was and is a hugely in, important influential sort of financial analysis magazine. But Porrick was also a mad keen fisherman, although completely useless at fly fishing. He was really only interested in salmon. So I remain in touch with him and the rest of the family. And then, uh, and I was aware that this son, Garrett, who now I used to talk about, and I probably, when I was staying there, saw this shambling teenager at some stage sort of going off to fish for rudd or whatever in the canal. Um, and then, lo and behold, he popped up in London. Um and and, and uh, with this completely mad idea to start a fishing magazine, um, and I did my utmost to dissuade him, um, quite ineffectually. Uh, and since then, I've <laughs> I've a subscriber and occasional 
contributor and whenever I meet up with Garrett, uh, I tell him which writers that you know he really needs to show the door to and and but it is a good magazine. I mean fishing magazines are generally pretty terrible and, and the really good ones don't last very long. The the best of them from long ago when I was a boy was a magazine called Creel, which was edited by Bernard Venables. Um and that lasted for about five years and then folded. Um the problem with fishing writing is, as I discovered, having written a lot about fishing, is that you run out of things to say. Um, and then you just start saying the same thing over and over again. Um, and then it's pointless and you'd be much better off going fishing. Well, Garrett hasn't reached that stage yet. Maybe he will. Uh, and also, he hardly ever goes fishing anyway um, because he's he's uh, he's sort of too busy. So he lives in this sort of fantasy world of uh, sort of make-believe fishing which is uh, which is sort of delivered to him by all these writers, but I must say he makes a tremendous job of, of production. It's a really indiv- his his father would tell him that he was an idiot for doing it and would <laughs> secretly be extremely proud of him. Well, I think do you know what? In fairness, it's it's found. I think it's found its feet over the last year or two in terms of its personality and its quirkiness, because I think that's kind of what you need. It needs to have that kind of clear definitive personality that's a little bit different um because like you said i think the problem is with fishing when you're writing about fishing whether it's fly fishing any type of fishing is you end up saying the same things just with different locations so it's a that's it and and you start and the worst thing is you start going fishing not in order to go fishing but in order to have something to write about um and which which sort of takes the edge off the uh, off the pleasure and uh yeah, I think it's, I mean, I, I I wouldn't, you know, it's a young, younger, younger man's kind of um, pursuit. Uh, I wouldn't want to do it myself, or have, you know, but I, I, I admire him for, for doing it. And I'm just looking at, I'm just looking at it now. I've got a big stack of them here. And uh, yeah, it looks, it just looks good. It looks different. Uh, and I know the people I've got to, to take out subscriptions say, you know, they really, most of them really appreciate it. Mm. And, and in fact, Niall's writings in it is great, are great as well. I'm trying to get him on the podcast. Um, he's a busy man between the day job and doing the magazine, but I do want to get him on to talk about the magazine. Yeah, you've got to get him. I mean, he's, he doesn't know anything much about fishing, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know anything. I took him down to the shore. We went down, we were... We were sort of flooded off after one evening, but we went down and um, and I said, look, come on, go. you've got to learn how to, to cast a fly. Your father would be ashamed of you because um, he really only knows what to do with a float and maggots and such. And not that there's anything wrong with that. I am not a fishing snob in any way, shape or form. Um, but anyway, we never got a chance. I thought, sort of, well, I've got to, you know, I've got to try and steer him um, away from all these sort of smelly baits and wriggly objects. Uh, but we were, there was then the most tremendous deluge and the river came up about four feet and that was the end of all fishing. Um, Tom, we'll just finish up. I want to ask you about your writing. Um, I'm a nonfiction writer myself as well. And I just, again, I'm just looking at the breadth of topics that you've covered from lawn, from lawns. Um, villi- yeah, lawns, eels, eels, the weather, the weather, um, boating down the river Trent in a punt. Um, I, I did a book about travels in Eastern Europe, which actually had quite a bit of fishing in it. I fished around sort of Poland, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Romania, 
Um, first of all in 1990 and then again in the 2000s and did, did a very unsuccessful, commercially unsuccessful book about that. Um, yeah, I've covered all sorts. The far, the far From Complete Angler? Far From Complete Angler, that was the first thing. That was published by Merlin Unwin and that was really a collection of stuff that I had written for, mainly for the Financial Times, but also various uh, magazines which I collected and it also had a chunk of uh, stuff um, of the fishing I had done in Eastern Europe in 1990. I went, I travelled around three months after the Berlin Wall came down um, and met a whole load of anglers and was looked after by anglers and taken to obscure rivers and streams in lovely, uh, lovely sort of unknown locations, then unknown locations. Uh, and yeah, so it was a sort of collection of of, of previous stuff. Um, all the others have been kind of commissioned um, and and written as one, you know, as a sort of um, single narrative, really. Any particular favourites from the ones that you've written? Yeah, the one that was most unsuccessful, the Book of Eels. Um, so eels are... I remain fascinated by eels. And funnily enough, that book, which was a complete flop when it came out nearly 20 years ago, is is about to be reissued. I've, with the, My publishers who've done Casting Shadows, this book, said, oh, we should bring out the eels again because it, you know, it, it's, its time might have come. Who knows? <laughs> so I did a new introduction for it. But to do that book, I travelled all over. I went... Well, I spent, I spent, I made two visits to, to Loch Ness in Northern Ireland to um, to go out with the, uh, the, the the eel fishermen on the loch uh, and to see the um, eel trap in operation uh, on the on the ban on the river coming out of uh, of Loch Ness. Uh, I went to the States. I went to Italy. I went to France. I went to Denmark. I went all over the place. Um, Talking to eel fishermen and or experts, people who devoted in ridiculous amounts of time and effort to working out what remains, you know, one of our the behaviour, one of our most mysterious and fascinating creatures, and it's very reassuring. That book came out twenty years ago, and in the intervening twenty years, despite the fact that people have gone on studying the eel and all research programs, all the rest of it, that, that much about it is still unknown and long may it continue. How do you convince your publisher, the publishers to publish such... <laughs> I don't know. They're very gullible. <laughs> do you, for, um, for you, but for you, is it a case of, you know, you come up with a topic, you, you know, you're looking for these kind yeah. of quirky ideas? You yeah, wanna... mostly. Uh, I did, I've done, I did, the most successful, commercially successful book I did was about, the A303 Highway to the Sun, which was a sort of, um, it was a look at this road, it's the road that goes past Stonehenge. Um, and I did a book about, not about its engineering, but about the history of the road, but also the way in which it sort of connected different landscapes and through different times. Uh, and the book was extremely successful and, in fact, is still selling. And that was not my idea. It was suggested to me, and I thought it was a really stupid idea to begin with, and then I fell in love with it. Uh, and it became a fascinating book to do and was a lot of fun to do. And I, apart, among various things, I walked the entire length of the road, because, uh, which was no fun at all, but it was very... You see things when you're walking uh, that you don't see 
uh, when you're in a car or even when you're cycling. Um, so, yeah, but all the others are, have been, yeah, ideas of mine. Um, and, and what's, um, what's, what's uh, next? Have you uh, any plans for next? Uh, I would just say, in, in addition to that, as a result of which I've made virtually no money out of any of them. <laughs> um, uh, next, I don't know, I'm nearly 70. Um, I, each time, it's a very exhausting um, business uh, producing a book. Uh, very, and you get very ang- I get very anxious about it. So I'm extremely anxious at the moment because the book is just out and because there are all the bookshops are shut and there are problems with distribution and such like, I think it's going to be very hard for, even for people who want it to actually get hold of it. But, I mean, that's just one trivial aspect of this sort of catastrophe that's overtaken us all. Um, but each time I do it, I think, do I really want to do all that again? And then something starts sort of nagging at me and, um, I get down to it. So yeah, there are sort of things that are nagging at me. Um, I certainly won't write anything about fish or fishing again. Mm. Oh, really? Say. That's it. You're done for it. You've covered all the I'm bases. I'm done. I'm done. I've done it. I've done, I've done it. Um, I'll probably, you know, I don't mind. I'm very happy to write something for Fallon's Angler every now and then, but I don't think I, I don't think there's there's room in the book reading world for a, yet another fish book. Well, we'll keep an eye on whatever whatever you choose to to write, Tom, in the future. Um, <laughs> but if if people can't get a copy distributed at the moment of Casting Shadows, they can of course get the Kindle edition. So I know it's not the the favourite probably way for people to be reading a lot of the time, but look, there are options there, so if they do want to try and get their hands on it... Um, That's right, yeah, yeah of course. If someone's really determined, they'll find it. They can, um, they can, they can work at it. Oh, perfect. Well, Tom, I tell you what, when you come over to Ireland, when we get through all this madness Yeah, well, I'm, de- I'm definitely on my way, and um, I, when I come again, I will definitely sign up with the Care Anglers, the, you know, 20 quid a day, uh, and to stay in this, in that... Rather delightful, sort of slightly faded town is uh, is is such it's such a great place to be. Um, so yeah, I'll look you up, and we'll we'll do another interview from the riverbank. I think that'll be even better. Sure, brilliant, Tom. Thanks a million, and uh, for everybody, it's Casting Shadows: Fish and Fishing in Britain by Tom Force. It's his latest book out, so do uh, try and get hold of it, and do also look through his his back catalogue from Book of Eels, Downstream Village News. A303 Channel Shore I could go on but have a look for yourselves we've plenty of time now to be reading so no excuses Tom Ford thanks a million for joining me it's been a great pleasure thanks my thanks to Tom Ford for joining me on the show I'll be back next week with another episode of Ireland on the Fly don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from you can also keep up to date on irelandonthefly.com as well as on Instagram at irelandonthefly in the meantime stay safe and thanks for listening The Mayfly is up and the excitement is palpable. Wherever you are in Ireland, the lakes and rivers are soon to be hatching with Mayfly soon. And to help you improve your catch rate this season, we've used a Mayfly Tactics Masterclass with international angler, guide and renowned tire, Jackie Mahan. If you want to learn about setup, tactics, conditions and flies, then head over to www.irelandonthefly.com forward slash masterclass where you can find out all the details to access the recording and Jackie's notes.
If you want to catch that difficult fish or try out new tactics, then this masterclass is for you.